Well, as we've said, we're starting a new series today on looking at Jeremiah. And um, Jeremiah was known by another name. Anyone else know what Jeremiah was also known as? He was given a bit of a nickname. The Weeping Prophet. And as we work through this series, we're going to be going about 10 weeks or so. Um, you'll probably see a bit of a picture as to why he was called the Weeping Prophet. Um, of all the prophets, Jeremiah probably got the hardest, the hardest gig. And there were some pretty hard gigs throughout the various prophets. But Jeremiah probably got one of the hardest, um, which we'll get to explore. And Jeremiah, to add to the picture of being known as the weeping prophet, also wrote the book of, anyone guess? Anyone know? Lamentations. So he did also write the book of Lamentations, lamenting, and all that will become a little bit clearer in the coming weeks. But I thought it might be a good series to follow up on the Beatitudes with as we looked at the characteristics of God's kingdom in the Beatitudes and how we ought to live in a world, um, often the world that we live in is quite unresponsive to the gospel that we're meant to take to it. doesn't really want to listen. And so I thought, well, how about we have a look at someone who really had a very unpopular message to take to a bunch of people who did not really want to listen to them and see how they went about it, see what strength that they required, how they handled it, their reliance on God and see what we can learn from Jeremiah. And that was the logic in looking at Jeremiah after the Beatitudes, um, you may like that logic, you may not like that logic, um, but that's my logic and that's what we're going to go with. But there is a twist in there. There is a twist and, and we'll come to the twist um, a bit later on today. So let's kick off with a bit of a background to Jeremiah. Um, and the first question which we always like to do when we start looking through a book is ask some of these basic questions, who wrote the book and when and all the rest. So let's just get some of these out of the way to help us understand the book that little bit better. The author's pretty much thought to be Jeremiah himself. Um, some people suggest that there might be multiple authors who've added to it. Um, they have some good reasons there are other good reasons why no Jeremiah should be thought of as the exclusive author uh, for the sake and purposes of what we're doing it's we can say Jeremiah is the author there would have been a little bit of editing happen after Jeremiah's lifetime but by about 520 BC which is roughly when um, the exiles were starting to look at coming back to the land again, um, Jeremiah was pretty much in its form that we have today. So the author, for our intents and purposes, and the level we need to dive to, 
can be thought of as Jeremiah. When did Jeremiah prophesy? He started at about 625 BC. Josiah was the king at the time. And if you think back to last year, we did a bit of a series on good kings in the Old Testament. If you remember back, and Josiah was the last one of them. And so Jeremiah started to prophesy during Josiah's reign in the mid-620 BCs, about 625, 626. And he prophesied right through and he actually saw the southern kingdom go into exile. And he was still prophesying and whatnot as the Babylonians came the second time in 587 BC. And so he watched his country, God's kingdom, not only ignore God again and again and again, but then actually receive the punishment for the ignoring of God over the centuries. He was, the, he was one of the prophets to actually witness this and be ignored. So who's the audience that it's written to? Well, his prophecies obviously must be thought of as being aimed at the southern kingdom. Um, and we call it the southern kingdom or Judah because after Solomon died, the, t- the one nation, the one kingdom of Israel split into a northern and southern kingdom. And the southern kingdom was Judah, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. They formed the southern kingdom known as Judah. The northern kingdom was the other ten tribes. They went into exile 722 BC never to be seen or heard of again as such to this day still when people call themselves the, the, the Reformation of Jew, um, the Jewish land and the Jews in Jesus' time is still very commonly thought of as the southern kingdom Jews. Um, and so the audience here is the southern kingdom Judah, because the northern kingdom has already been taken into exile. And the major themes throughout uh, Jeremiah is judgment on God's people should they continue to not listen to God. Judgment on God's people should they not continue, should they continue to not listen to God. But also... There is a theme flowing through it, und, uh, an undercurrent of hope. Hope for a restored future if you do start listening to God. There's judgment if you keep refusing to listen to God. And by this point, God's been sending, the nation as a whole has been rebelling against God. God's people have been rebelling um, for at least 300 years. You could actually go back further that and argue that they never really truly followed God, even in the wilderness and before the wilderness. And when they came into the promised land, then even then with the judges and Samuel and Saul and David, and you could argue that they've never truly actually followed God. But from a perspective of God sending prophets to warn of impending judgment, it's been at least 300 years and they still haven't listened. 
Okay, 300 years is a long time to ignore God. But that's what, we, that's what we're looking at. But God is still, even in Jeremiah, even at this late stage, God is still holding out a hope saying, I will restore you. I will love you. I will bring you back all these blessings that I've promised you if you will just humbly come back to me. And that's Jeremiah. And that's, what, that's what we're going to be seeing over the next 10 weeks. But to come back to the question, why are we looking at it? Well, the fact is we live in a vastly different world to the world that Jeremiah was prophesying in, don't we? They didn't even have Foxtel back then. What was that? Didn't even have YouTube. Tom and Jerry was only just invented. It's old. Yet some things just don't change, do they? Human nature just doesn't change. And it doesn't matter what culture you're from, it doesn't matter what nation you're from, it doesn't matter what time period you're from. Human nature just doesn't change. And there's plenty in the book of Jeremiah that we should be able to see in our world today. And as we look at Jeremiah's unpopular message and we look at the message he takes to the, to the nation, warning of God's judgment, a lot of Christians look at Jeremiah and that's the main level they look at Jeremiah on and they go... That was a tough gig. Why didn't they listen? I would have listened. <laughs> really? <laughs> but that's not the only level Jeremiah's written on. And here's the twist. Here's the twist. And as we go through the weeks, hopefully this will become apparent and this question will pop up in our heads time and time again. Who was Jeremiah actually prophesying to? That's not a rhetorical question, by the way. I'm actually throwing it out there, see if anyone... Who was Jeremiah actually prophesying to? Well, the people of then and now, more then than now, if we're looking at Jeremiah, but who are the people of them? Then, pardon? His contemporaries, and who are they? Yep, and who are they? There's a particular phrase that I'm looking for, and you, 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 you write around it, but you haven't quite gone bang. Thank you. Yep, God's people. Jeremiah is not prophesying just to random street walkers. Jeremiah and all the prophecies in the book of Jeremiah are to the very people who were meant to know God best. Are you ready for this question? You know it's coming. You know what I'm about to ask. Are you ready for it? Who are God's people today? So who's Jeremiah actually written to? 
So we can talk all we want about a really tough message that we need to take to the world and the world's rebelling against God and they need to repent back to God, they need to come back to God and avoid judgment and receive God's blessings. But in fact, Jeremiah's not talking to the world. (laughs) Jeremiah's talking to us. Jeremiah's challenging us in our attitudes, in our focuses, in our beliefs, in our viewpoints. He's saying to us, Are you truly worshipping God? Now, we can take and learn from Jeremiah as we go to and live in our community and want to show God to the community. We can take Jeremiah and learn from him to do that more effectively and hopefully we will. But that's not the only level Jeremiah is written on, and that's not the only level we're going to be looking at Jeremiah on. An interesting, interesting thought, isn't it? That Jeremiah is actually written very much for us. So let's get to know Jeremiah a little bit. As we launch into the rest of the series, I want to spend the rest of today just looking at a bit about the call of Jeremiah and then um, the calling and an overview of what his ministry is going to look like. And that's what we're going to do today and then next week we're going to start jumping into the actual uh, prophecies. So the verses we read in Jeremiah chapter 1 start at verse 4 and if you look at verse 5 it says, Before I formed you in the womb I knew you before you were born I set you apart I appointed you as a prophet to the nation so that's God speaking to Jeremiah and the word knew the word before you were formed in the womb I knew you it's the same word that they used back in Genesis to talk about a man and a woman knowing each other in intimate, deep relationship. It's not a head theoretical, oh yes, put in the diary, 626 BC, I've got to get back to Jeremiah again because he's going to be around then so that I can get him to start prophesying. It's an intimate, deep knowledge. God knew Jeremiah. Before Jeremiah was even around and thought of by his parents, God already knew him and he knows you. And he's known you since before the creation of the world. Which is pretty amazing this week if you've seen those pictures of whatever they're of. Um, they're way beyond my intelligence level, exactly how, how it all works. These, these amazing new pictures from that uh, telescope. Um, as I said, beyond my ability to comprehend, I haven't spent a lot of time trying to figure it out but it does make a great amount of sense. But the, the photos themselves are pretty mind-blowing, aren't they? They're pretty impressive. And apparently there's something like 6,000 or 7,600 light years away and they reflect what was going on 13 or 14 billion years ago or something. And this isn't going to become a debate on young Earth, old Earth or anything like that. 
But the God who created that knew you. Knew you. And he knew Jeremiah. It's the same God. The God that created this universe that spans thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon billions of light years knows you. Now that's either the best news you're ever going to hear or it's complete arrogance. It's, it's, it's one or the other. I'm just going to put them on the table. It's either the best thing you, you will ever get told or I'm completely arrogant in claiming it. Up to you what you decide. But Jeremiah says God knew him. Long before Jeremiah was even thought of. And God says, I'm going to use you as a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah goes, I'm too young. Jeremiah's probably early 20s at this point. Now, in that society, he was considered an adult, but he certainly doesn't have any sort of qualifications or authority or respect in the community to be able to claim himself as a messenger of God. And that's kind of what he's saying. He goes, I've got no credibility to claim that I'm speaking on your behalf. And God goes, do not say you're too young. Do not come out with these excuses because I'm going to put words into your mouth and I'm going to tell you where to go and I'm going to rescue you when it all turns pear-shaped. How's that for exciting? How is that for absolutely exciting? You know what it reminded me of? What's the first thing that comes into your head when you, when you read those verses? Sovereign Lord, I'm too young, I don't know how to speak. Oh, come on, cut me a break. No, I don't really want to go to this. You're going. Moses, that's right. First thing that pops in your head, Moses. Moses had every excuse under the sun as to why he should not go back to Egypt when he's talking to a bush that won't burn. And did the bush listen to him? Did the bush listen to Jeremiah? Not that he's talking to a bush now, but did God listen to Jeremiah? I'm too young. Don't send me. I can't talk. No one's going to listen to me. You're going. And I'll rescue you. What excuses are you coming out with? What are your excuses for not saying what God wants you to say, to not live as God wants you to live, to not be the person God wants you to be? You know them. You know these excuses in your head because you play them out. I have mine, you have yours. We all have them. The first step to overcoming them is accepting, yeah, I actually say them. Because as long as you go, no, no, I don't, I don't make excuses. No, no, I, 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 I go wherever God wants me to. Really? Really? What are your excuses? See, 
We all like to think of Jeremiah as going to those evil, ignorant, silly, stupid, rebellious people and he's talking to them about God and they're too dumb to listen. They're too rebellious to listen. When we see Jeremiah, as it should be seen, Jeremiah's coming to us. Are we listening? And we're called to be Jeremiah. Are we going? Not to the world, but to us. It's quite interesting, actually, because when I planned this, I had no intent, idea, thought whatsoever about the survey at all. God has the greatest sense of humour. Hands up. I'm pretty sure I already know the answer, hopefully. Who put as the perfect church, does not need to change one iota in any way, shape or form, Wingham Baptist Church as it is now. Two people, four, five. This is the perfect church. Not now, I'm saying, is this church perfect? So that's the thing. Even this church, though it may be ideal, it's not perfect, is it? Things need to be called out. Things need to change. People need to be held accountable. And you can do it on a church level, you can do it on a state level, national level, you can do it on an individual level. But if we look at the theme of his ministry in verses 11 to 19, God gives him a bit of a view as to, okay, I've called you, you're going, and here's how it's going to look. Here's how it's going to look if we go to verses and start at verse 11. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see a branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, You have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. Now, almond tree and and trees blooming in the Bible is often thought of as a good thing. And it can be. But in this case, what it's actually pointing to is the almond tree is always one of the first trees to bloom. In autumn and winter, loses its leaves. In spring, starts to bloom again. The flowers start to come out. It means spring is on its way. And that's what God's saying here, that my promises that I've been saying for 300 years that are going to come, if you don't listen to me, they are coming. I assure you, just as spring follows winter, my promises are going to be done. So then he goes on to verse 13. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that is boiling, I answered. It is tilting toward us from the north. The Lord said to me, From the north disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. 
I am about to summon all the peoples of the north and kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against her, all her surrounding walls and against the towns of Judah. And it goes on in verse 16. So what's happening here is he's not just testing Jeremiah to see if Jeremiah is in tune. He's actually telling Jeremiah, this is what's going to be happening. For 300 years I've been talking about judgment if my people don't come back to me. I keep holding out hope. I keep holding out attempts to bring them back, opportunities to listen, ways for them to repent. They haven't listened and as sure as spring follows winter, there is coming a time when there is no more chances. And it's about to happen. How's it going to happen? With a pot of boiling water coming from the north. So the almond tree is representing the fulfilment of the promises that God's been promising. Then the pot of boiling water is the how it's going to be fulfilled. There's going to be disaster coming from the north. Now at the time, in 626 BC, the Assyrians were still really the dominant military force they were still the dominant military kingdom the Assyrians not the Babylonians but the Babylonians were on the rise the Assyrians were on the wane their time had come and it was going and the Babylonians were picking up and so while as Jeremiah is prophesying this he may well have Thought, and the people may have thought, oh, it'll be the Assyrians. They may have, depending how soon. But God always knew it was going to be the Babylonians because they were rising up. They were rising up. And they were coming. But it's interesting, in a sense, with the Babylonians. And it's an important point for us to understand as we explore this. And as we live out, Babylonians are going to be the pot of boiling water, go through the land, and they're going to do the ultimate insult, and it really was one of the ultimate insults, that they're going to set up their throne in front of the temple. In other words, our king is better than your God. Your God stinks. He's a failure. He's worthless. He's nothing. That's what it meant when a king set up their throne at the gates of the city or at the temple of that city's God or whatever. It's highly offensive to do. And kings did it as an act of complete and utter arrogance. But let me ask you this. Who are the Babylonians? may sound a very vague random question but who are the Babylonians are the Babylonians judging the, the Israelites the Judeans that's right exactly the Babylonians are not the judges the Babylonians are tools in the hand of the judge who's the judge God now, why do I point that out? 
Why do I make a deal of that? Seems rather elementary. If we went out in the street today, if we bothered to spend the time looking at pretty much every research survey in the last 35 years, one of the top answers for why, for why more people are turning away from the church in droves, what do you think one of the top three answers is going to be in every single survey you want to look at in the last, as I said, 25 years, we can go 30 years. What's that? Misconduct in the church, absolutely, that's going to be one of them. Full of hypocrites, yep, that's another one. Yeah, that's usually the case. But what's the basis for all of that? The church acts as judge of everyone. The church is, and people resent being judged. We are not the judges. We are messengers from the judge. We take the message of a coming judgment out to the world and we've been given what the, what the pass and fail marks are going to be based on. We've been given a look at, God's already said, this is what I'm going to be using as the determining factor in my judging. But the church has taken that and gone and judged. And the problem is, the church is full of misconduct. The church is full of hypocrites. The church is full of people who can't get along with each other. The church is full of all this, this stuff which we're telling the world's wrong and we're doing the same thing. And the fact is we keep trying to judge. We're not the judges. And that's how it is, can be so easy to show God's love despite maybe disagreeing with the way someone's living. Because if you're not the judge, it's okay. Love them. You can still inform them of what God expects, but ultimately it's not on your head if they do or don't. That's between them and God. Not between you, them and God. Love them. Love them. And if we just finish off looking at Jeremiah, verse 17, get yourself ready, stand up and say to them, this is God, say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah and its officials, its priests and the peoples of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you, and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. How's that for a bit of a exciting adventure to go on? We're at the beginning of Jeremiah's time as a prophet. God's going, people are going to hate you, <laughs> but don't worry, I'll rescue you. Want to give me an easier message to prophesy? 
when you're being told up front, no, you're going to need rescuing. (laughs) People are not going to be happy with you. (laughs) Let me tell you, you take God's message, not to the world, to the church. People are not going to be happy with you. As Christians, and I don't mean literally just our church, I mean all Christians, we are absolutely awesome at giving advice. We're not quite as good at listening to it, at being corrected. We're not very good at all. But Jeremiah's written as much for us as for anyone else. And if we're going to take anything from this book of Jeremiah that God wants us to take from it, we have to first sit and go, actually, I'm not perfect. I need correcting and I need to start listening humbly. And so how do we, what do we do with this sermon? Here's the practical part. What do we do with all this? The big question I want you to go away and work through this week is, am I a Jeremiah or a Judean? Am I a Jeremiah or am I a Judean? Am I someone who is submitting myself to God and I will do whatever God wants me to do and I will listen with humility or am I a Judean thinking I know best and because I've already got one of God's people, therefore I must automatically be perfect and I don't need to change a thing. Human nature doesn't change. 600 years later, 650 years later when Jesus was ministering, what was one of his biggest problems? The people who were meant to know God best did what? I don't need to listen to you, (laughs) you Nazarene. (laughs) It's like calling someone from Mount Druid, basically. That's that's how Nazareth was seen. If you know anything about Sydney and you know anything about the makeup of the different suburbs in Sydney and you've got your North Shore Richies and you've got your... your Southern Shire wannabe North Shore Richies, but they're not, so they created their own little... We live in the Shire. <laughs> and then you've got your, your inner West who are very yuppie and very, we have, all the, we have all the class really because we live our social life. And then you go into the hills and you've got your families, your Borker Mills, Castle Hills, your sort of thing and everyone's just working class families there all doing very well. And our houses have got to be bigger than the Joneses next door because the Joneses had to be bigger than the Smiths and so therefore I'm now bigger than the Joneses and the Smiths. And you go through your, your suburbs of Sydney, Mount Druid, everyone know what Mount Druid is? That's Nazareth. Always was, always was sort of that way, even in Jesus' time. Nazareth was your Mount Druid of Israel. 
What's that? You tell me. So how do we do this? If we need to be humble, we need to accept that we're not perfect, we need to accept that we are not the judges. We like to think we're the judges because that makes us important, but we're not the judges, we're going to be judged. But we're called to take the message of judgment to people. What they do, that's their problem. Once you understand that, that fact, it is the most awesome thing ever. It is, it is the best fact in the world when you work out that it's absolutely of no consequence to you whatsoever what Joe Bloggs down the road does with God. You can care for Joe Bloggs. You can want Joe Bloggs to, be a, to, to come to follow Christ. You can tell Joe Bloggs how much God loves them, but if Joe Bloggs goes, hey, not a problem. Let's go get a burger. Because that's between Joe Bloggs and God. But what we too often do is then we start criticising Joe Bloggs and we start pointing out all Joe Bloggs' faults. Joe Bloggs already knows his faults. Just like you know yours and I know mine. But if he doesn't want to listen to the message, hey, no problem, just love him. And it's easy once you work out that you're not being graded on your conversion success rate. You're being graded on your ability to plant seeds. What does that mean? You go, God loves you. One day we are going to have to give an account of what we do with God. God's going to take care of that. That's between you and God. You've just planted a whole whack of seeds. If they're looking, they'll get back to you. What do you mean? They're not looking? Maybe they were the rocky soil. Maybe the, oh, the soil, the, the seeds fell on the path. But that's not your problem. And it's so much easier to stop judging people when you work out it's not your problem. That's why we read Matthew. What do we do with Matthew? If your brother or sister sins, brother or sister, part of your church family, when they sin, it's not... A worldwide thing to go to anyone, it's good advice. But Jesus is talking when your brother or sister, when the person in your family, your church family, sin, what do you do? Drag them up in front of the courts? What do you do? Do you drag them up in front of the church and beat them around the head with the lectern? Let's put out a church vote. Everyone who thinks Nev should shave his beard, raise your hand. You go see them personally, one-on-one. It's basic common advice. Why? Because it gives the person a chance to save face, correct what they're doing. No one else needs to know about it. The only reason other people need to know about it is for your ego. What are you more interested in, looking good or getting the problem solved? 
Because if you're interested in being in your ego, then you'll want to get in front of as many people as possible and tell that person how bad they are because they support South Sydney. (laughs) But if you want to solve the problem and help them actually start supporting a team that's going to win occasionally, so therefore not Parramatta, then you will go see them one-on-one. It's the ego that drives that I need others to see me do the right thing. But that's not what Jeremiah is talking about. It's not what Matthew is talking about. And if we're to be people of God, we need to start listening and speaking with humility. And if we're going to work through the the series in Jeremiah and listen to Jeremiah's prophecies and warnings and judgments then we need to have a lot of humility ourselves. Because as much as he's giving us examples on how to take an unpopular message to an unlistening world, a lot of his messages are going to be for us. We need to be listening to Jeremiah's messages for our life, not just to then be able to take it to the world in a way that actually helps the world come to know God. Let me leave with this. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You've only heard that verse about a billion times if you've been around church for longer than a few months. It is still so true. Whenever you take an issue, a problem, a concern, a worry or whatever to someone in the family or in the community, do it with love. Love looks for their good, for their benefit, not for your ego. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God of all love, that you are the God of all knowledge, that you know us better than we know ourselves. And yet, despite knowing us better than we know ourselves and being fully aware of just how we are and how how much we fail, you still call us and want to use us primarily for our benefit and not yours. But we thank you for that. And I pray that this week we can be your people that listen and speak with love in all situations so that we can hear what you're saying to us and show others just how awesome you really are. In your son's name. Amen.